0: Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced for RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Gary Barker. And I'm Leon Gittler. And this is episode 21 in our series for 2016. And today's date is Friday the 24th of June. And Leon, we've got James Chin Moody talking to us this yeah, week. Yeah,
1: uh, James Chin Moody is someone who came out of the CSIRO and he uh, he's a CEO and co-founder of a Sydney de- startup delivery service, Sendel. And he's going to be talking to us all all about disruption in the delivery business and how he is competing with Australia Post. Indeed, and he's doing very well because he's using excess
0: space... On courier trucks, and instead of them going one way, they go both ways. It's
1: very, very clever. Very smart.
0: And now, also, we are this week beginning an association with Shane Oliver, the economist at the AMP. Shane Oliver
1: is the chief economist at the AMP, so he comes on board, and we have got a terrific stable of economists now on Talking Business. We've got Saul like Sinclair-Davidson, Nicholas Gruen, Stephen Koulos. I mean, really good. I mean, I don't know any other media outlet in the world that has such a stable of economists and
0: Shane Oliver joining it that just makes it stronger
1: that's right and he's going to be talking to us all about where he sees interest rates tracking and he thinks they're actually going to go down as low as one point two. To 5%.
0: That's great if you're a retiree. So now let's have a chat to James Chin Moody. James Chin Moody, you have founded a company called Sendle, which looks very much as though you're attacking Australia Post head on with small business deliveries. Tell us how it works, uh, who you're associated with, and what was the genesis of the idea?
2: Well, well Sendal's a company. What we do is we unlock big business logistics and make it available to small business. And by doing that, we can now deliver parcels cheaper door-to-door than you would can if you line up at the post office. And the really fascinating thing about this business is that we, we were actually our own first customer. Um, we started off not doing parcel logistics at all, but actually a marketplace where people could give things to one another. But the thing that giving needed... Um, and that that marketplace needed it was a really simple, easy, flat national rate and, and everything tracked way of sending parcels. And, and it was from that that Sendle was born.
1: So tell me, I mean, how does it work? I mean, I believe uh, you, you're like Airbnb that doesn't have hotel rooms or Uber that doesn't have cars. You don't
2: have, <laughs> you don't have uh, any vans. Well, well, that was the thing. We, we had to find a way of delivering parcels for ourselves, but um, doing it in a really cheap way. Um, We knew that we had to be able to send 25 kilograms anywhere in the same capital city for under $10. So we looked around and we said, where is their idle capacity in their courier networks and where can we find the ability to do this? And it turned out, and this is really interesting, that thanks to the wonderful world of e-commerce, we're getting a lot of stuff being delivered to ourselves at the moment. right? Lots of stuff ends up going from big warehouses out in the sticks to a depot and then ends up in the, in suburbs and cities. Well, those trucks actually go back empty. And and that was the where we, we basically started the idea, what would it take? And what would it mean if we could start filling those trucks with parcels from small businesses, um, from consumers? And, and could we actually end up getting really great marginal rates from that?
0: So that means uh, you're associated with toll, I think, aren't you?
2: So we've actually got a whole network of courier providers. But um, to, we, we realized quickly that if we were going to, to create a standard of service that was um, equal to and, and we think better than say parcel post what we needed to do is to, to get the best courier providers we could in Australia and uh, so we, we you know got fast way couriers couriers please toll uh, we started to patchwork those couriers or integrate those couriers and so we could create a network that was that could reach anywhere in Australia so now we can we can basically send a parcel um, yet again all door to door all from just one at a time um, we can send it anywhere in Australia. And again, we can do it cheaper than lining up at the post office.
0: Yeah, <laughs> how do you sort? Do you use the courier sorting system?
2: Yeah, so so we never touch the parcel. And this is one big thing. We're a software company doing logistics. A bit like Airbnb is a is a software company doing uh, hotel rooms or, you know, rooms. Um, what we do is we really work with our courier providers and, and we help find small businesses. We onboard them. We support them. We invoice them. We do all this stuff that is really good. That's, that a software company can do really well. And then what we do is we work with the courier providers for them to pick up the parcels and deliver them.
1: And I believe uh, NRMA invested in you. Is that right?
2: Yeah, we were really fortunately uh, fortunate. NRMA um, invested in our, uh, both our uh, Angel round and our Seed round. And, and they're a great company. This is the motoring and services version, a uh, part of NRMA. Um, they've got over two and a half million members of their own. And part of what they wanted to do for us is with us is to create a membership benefit. So NRMA business members can actually get access to our premium rates in Sindel for absolutely free.
0: So now the interface with the customer, you're the small business guy that's sending out electronics and socks and sandals uh, to individuals. How does that work? It's a dash- dashboard on a mobile phone? Or-
2: yeah, it's mobile phone or PC. So you simply go to our website, sindel.com. It'll take you a whole 30 seconds to sign up. You just need your email address and a password, uh, and then you can start sending parcels. And again, this is what we think is a really big difference between us and 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 some of you know some of the others. To get an e-parcel account with Australia Post can take you days because you're filling in credit forms and filling in forms and whatever it might be. For us, it's all about how quickly and how how quickly can we help people send parcels, and how can we take the burden the huge administrative burden away from small business so that they can actually spend time building their business. Tell
1: me, I'm intrigued how you've teamed up with Zero. Tell me why and tell me how that works.
2: Well, one of the things we realised was we actually have a very similar philosophy to a lot of things to Zero, which is about making beautiful products that help small business uh, to succeed and to thrive. And we realised that a lot of our customers were actually... Um, uh, getting phone, you know, taking phone orders, for example, and they'd put those orders into Zero so they could create the invoice. So we said, and and we talked to Zero about this. What would it be like if we could actually get those Zero invoices and? them directly into Sendal. And so now if you're on Sendal, you can actually click on Xero, you can log into your Xero account and all of your Xero invoices will turn up onto on Sendal and you can use them to create a parcel straight away from that.
0: So now payments, credit card, PayPal, how does that work?
2: So so one of the big philosophies we have um, and the reason why we can keep our costs really low is that we try to... Uh, to, to make everything um, as automated, um, you know, as, as little manual intervention as possible. So what we've done is we've basically used Stripe. It's a payment gateway and we just have automatic weekly billing you start sending at the end of the week we just invoice you for the amount of sending that you've been done that you've been doing it's it's pretty much that simple
1: and uh your customers don't actually have any interaction with the courier companies themselves do
2: they well they do when they hand the parcel over <laughs> um, um but we we really take responsibility for the whole delivery so for example if there's something gone wrong they can absolutely contact us we've got a team there that that you know is is there to basically respond to customers and also watch the parcels you know our job is to make the life of small business and particularly those small businesses who might be doing, you know, small e-com or sending things to their customers um, make their lives really simple. Now, the rates you charge, they're flat, aren't they? Yeah. So we we basically worked out uh, that there was over 5,200 price points at the post office, um, which is the reason why generally you could walk into the post office right away with a 10 kilogram parcel and send it to Perth and you'd have no idea how much that thing's going to cost to send. Um, We decided what small business really needs is they need certainty around their prices. And so in Sendal we basically have three uh, three different zones, you might call it. There's Metro, which is the same city, and we can deliver uh, 25 kilograms anywhere in the same capital city. So it's Sydney to Sydney or Melbourne to Melbourne. We can deliver 25 kilograms for $9.75 door-to-door, generally on the same day, sometimes next day. And then we can also deliver nationally, um, and, and our national rates cover over 90% of Australian households. Uh, we can do those from uh, $9.75 for two kilograms anywhere in Australia, and then we have a remote rate as well.
0: 25 kilograms is pretty generous. I mean, you could send a, a major TV um, and be under that weight, couldn't you?
2: Yeah, it's, it is quite amazing. We, um, there, of course, are some volume restrictions. There's a, it's called 100 liters, uh, which, again, is quite significant, but... Yeah, it's a um, the the interesting thing is that we've been able to to create products that we think you know small business is, is well-suited to, to, to them. And the other thing is it's 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 about making it really simple. If you go onto our dashboard, we realize that small business doesn't want to be sticking in every single dimension. You know, they want to actually, we, we, we just say it's got to be within 100 litres. Great.
1: And most of your customers, I take it, would be retailers? Would that be right?
2: We've got such a interesting range of customers. Um, we Everything from our focus sell on uh, Etsy so you might be somebody working from home, making something in your spare time and wanting to sell it to, um, so e-tailers. Uh, we've got a great company called Who Gives a Crap, for example. They sell toilet paper, uh, and we do a lot of their logistics for them. So it's you know it's a complete spectrum of stay-at-home companies to to much bigger businesses.
0: So you're accelerating the online trade, aren't you?
2: Well, we absolutely see that that's a, a huge opportunity. You know, effectively, what's happening in the online world at the moment is is. A lot of the spend that was previously on bricks and mortar on you know off- uh, shops is you can actually take what you were previously going to invest in that and instead you can invest that in logistics. And because it often costs less to send a parcel, and this is where central comes into the mix by trying to level the playing field between the cost of big business sending and the cost of small business sending, You can, if you can cost less to send a parcel than it does to set up a shop, then a lot of businesses are absolutely saying, hey, we can we can create better prices for our customers and, we think, better service levels.
0: So if you're offering same-day service, then you could almost get into perishables, couldn't you?
2: Well, we, 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 there's a couple of things. We, don't, we cannot guarantee, unfortunately, same-day because what happens with our parcels is they all go to a depot and then back out again. So if it's picked up in the afternoon, it will go to the depot for the night and then get delivered the next morning. If it's picked up in the morning, it gets delivered in the afternoon. We think that for perishables, you generally want to have what they call a point-to-point service, where somebody's picking up a parcel and delivering it straight away. But the thing about those services is they become quite expensive the further out you go. Whereas for Sendal, we can absolutely, by doing the way we do it, we can do it for national and 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 also metro flat rates.
0: So, final question, James. Currently, you're in the main parts of Australia, but obviously, it's an idea that could be could go global. Have you got ambitions in that area?
2: Uh, I, I think there's there's not a single startup founder that probably doesn't one day have ambitions to go global. Um, we we look we 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 think we've found an amazing business here, and we've been growing you know between twenty and thirty percent a month. Um, all this year, which is really for us, it's testament to the fact that there is a problem to be solved and that our solution is, is, is doing really well at solving it. Um, we'd like to, to really keep on focusing on this market because we think that there's a lot more we can do. And then once we've done that, we'll, we'll then look at overseas.
0: James Chen Moody, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you very much. Well, they often say, Leon, that the best
1: ideas are the simplest.
0: And this is one of those. I where think it's brilliant.
2: It's I think brilliant. it's
1: absolutely brilliant. And it's just remarkable how these people come up with these extraordinary ideas that when you look at it, it's just so obvious. So now, Shane Oliver. Shane, the uh, RBA Minutes came out yesterday. Uh, what's your view of it? I mean, uh, the RBA is obviously monitoring interest rates, and you have gone out and predicted that we were going to be down to an interest rate of 1.25%. Well,
3: that's right. You know, when we saw the uh, the easing back in May, and, of course uh, – actually, that, that, was a, that was an easing that I anticipated, so we were expecting a rate cut back then. Um, but, of course, just prior to that, we saw some very low inflation numbers. And given we've got very low wages growth in Australia – Uh, we think there's the likelihood is that inflation will stay below the Reserve Bank's target for longer than the Reserve Bank is currently assuming. So consequently, to offset that, um, we think the Reserve Bank will cut interest rates again, Um, not necessarily or not straight away. But uh, I think as we come towards August, uh, we'll probably see another cut then, then another move in November. Um, And of course, uh, the fact that the Reserve Bank left interest rates on hold at its June me- uh, July meeting, sorry, June meeting, I'm getting my months confused here, um, wasn't a great surprise. We always thought they would pause there. And, of course, uh, the minutes, uh, I guess, expressed a degree of comfort with the way things are at the moment um, and didn't indicate any particular bias on the part of the Reserve Bank. But we think that as time goes by, the Reserve Bank will realise there will be a need for another cut. And don't forget the Reserve Bank's uh, forecast, including for inflation, do assume market pricing for interest rates. So they have already baked another rate cut into their own forecast. So if they don't cut rates again, then the risk is certainly that inflation will come in below their own uh, their own projections. So for all those reasons, very uh, low inflation, we think the Reserve Bank will cut interest rates again. And if some people say, well, Um, why bother with it? Why worry? Why not just lower the inflation target? The problem with all of that is that the longer inflation stays at these low levels, the greater the chance it will get entrenched at low levels, um, as we've said in many other countries around the world. Companies will say, well, we're not going to budget for 2.5% wages growth next year. We'll just budget for 1.5% wages growth next year. And that's what we'll pay our workers. And when you see that happening, obviously, inflation expectations will move down and so, too, will the inflation rate generally and will lock in a much lower rate. And the last thing you want to do in this environment is to lock in a rate of inflation, which is danger, dangerously close to deflation. So I think for all those reasons, there is a good reason for the Reserve Bank to, to continue cutting interest rates.
1: Do you see uh, the prospect of inflation rising again? Wages are very low and it doesn't look to be rising anytime soon.
3: That's right. That's right. Um, I guess <clears throat> as an economist, you always got to be careful here um, yeah, back in the 1980s, it seemed that inflation would never fall again. Um, so there will come a time when inflation will rise again. Um, and it will. when it comes, it will probably surprise everybody. You know, everyone was assuming a few years ago inflation would pick up because of all the money printing in the US and elsewhere. and Of course, that hasn't happened. But at some point, it will come along. Um, and it will usually come along at a time when the commodity price cycle has well and truly bottomed out, when the uh, potential, productive potential of, of economies is somewhat reduced. Uh, and then you'll start to see demand picking up at some stage and inflation will pick up. But at this stage, it's very hard to see that because, as you say, wages growth is very subdued. Um, Wages growth might even slow further from here. The Aussie dollar, um, the last little while, has been relatively stable, I guess sort of stuck around that range, mostly averaging just above 70 cents, currently around 74, so not a lot of downwards pressure on inflation. Um, or sorry, upwards pressure on inflation from the exchange rate at the moment. Um, and of course, commodity prices globally are still low. They may have stopped falling, but they're still low. So, And you've got spare capacity around the world and in Australia. So all of those things suggest that from a cyclical perspective, we're still at a point where inflation will remain low.
1: One of the interesting things reading about the Fed and uh, Janet Yellen yesterday gave gave evidence to the Senate Banking Committee is that the Fed seems to have a lot of trouble now lifting interest rates from the low mm. level it's at. And uh, Janet Yellen's testimony to the Senate Banking Committee yesterday was indicating, don't expect a rate rise in uh, July. And in fact, September's no sure bet either. Now... I would imagine that once interest rates are very low, it would be very difficult for a central bank to start them, raising them again.
3: Yes, and that's what seems to be happening here, that uh, it's almost as if the US, uh, that investment markets have sort of uh, got used to low interest rates, and uh, any uh, any thought or reality that that might change causes a huge upset. And so to some degree, those low rates tend to have become entrenched, and she has had trouble getting lift off there, the the Fed would run their normal analysis and they would say that a neutral rate for the Fed funds rate is much higher than it currently is. They're currently saying 3%, but um, whatever it is, it would be higher than is currently the case because the US economy is still growing. It's growing at 2%. You've got about 1.5% inflation. So normal growth in the US is about 3.5%. Now, normal analysis would suggest that your equilibrium interest rates are closer to that 3.5% rather than down close to zero like they are at the moment. I can understand where she's coming from. She also thinks that uh, the unemployment rate is quite low and that inflation recently has been drifting up a little bit in the US. Um, So I can sort of see where she's coming from. Um, By the same token, I also appreciate the fact that she's fairly flexible about things. She's not dogmatic and that the Fed hasn't uh, responded in a dogmatic fashion and continued to raise interest rates blindly. So I think there's definitely a balancing act going on here. But it's going to remain a very slow and gradual process for the Fed to get interest rates back to normal. At this stage, you know, we're probably looking at maybe one, Yeah, you know, could be two, but more likely one, Interest, further interest rate hike this year. Interest rate expectations um, remain very low. For example, uh, you know, it's about a 30% market probability placed on a September move. That's probably a bit too low. So I've got to allow for the fact that the markets have been more right than the Fed lately. So uh, you know, the Fed has tended to adjust down to where the market is. But I, th- I think maybe one hike, this year, out of the Fed, will probably be it, and it's going to remain a very gradual process, which is probably as it should be.
1: Well, the way inflation is tracking around the world, and uh, particularly here, I would you would say that uh, it could be several years till we see interest rates normalise themselves. Would you yeah. agree with that?
3: Yeah. I would. And I guess uh, for any of us who've been around for a while, it was it's a bit like the mirror image of what we had back in the late 70s, early 80s. It was several years before interest rates normalised again on the downside. Um, back in the late 1980s, people in Australia were still taking out mortgages at uh, 17% interest rates. And uh, I think when fixed rate uh, loans were introduced in Australia, they were there at 15%. But they were the sort of levels that were often regarded as normal back then. Now they seem exorbitantly high. Whereas we only got back to some degree of normality as we went through, I guess through through the 90s into the 2000s. Um, now, of course, we've gone and swung the other way. Um, but as the experience of the late 70s, 80s tells us, it can take a long time before you start going back to what to to whatever you might regard as a long-term normality.
1: So, how do you think Australia would respond to an interest rate of 1.25 percent?
3: Well probably feel a little bit like it does at the moment, but um, it would probably also mean a slightly lower Australian dollar. Um, But I think the key here is the Australian economy has not fallen apart. If you go back a a few years ago, I was reading newsletter articles, I was seeing ads on... uh, the internet talking about the inevitability of recession in Australia. And, of course, that hasn't happened. Um, we're still waiting for this recession. So the, the, the good news in Australia is that uh, the volume of economic growth in Australia has held up reasonably well. You know, over the last uh, 12 months, we grew up 3%, US 2%, Europe about 1.5%, Japan less than 1%. So great right things, we're doing pretty well. That will probably remain the case. So I think one of the things that might emerge over the next 12 months is some loss of momentum from the housing sector. And uh, lower interest rates, if we do get a cut to 1.25%, will help offset that, help other sectors of the economy um, keep up some momentum. And sectors that I'm relying on would be particularly tourism, higher education, and they, they would benefit if the Reserve Bank cut interest rates again. Not directly, but they would benefit from a fall in the Australian dollar. Uh, further fall in the Australian dollar, which would have the effect of attracting more tourists back to Australia, discouraging Australians from going overseas, and likewise encouraging more foreign students to to come to our universities. So th- th- these sorts of things will help. So therefore, I think a lower interest rate will help the economy, even though pe- some people might be sceptical about that. Um, I'm often, I often hear from my mother on that front, too, who says, it's all right for you, Shane, you've got a mortgage, so you benefit, and she's worse off. And, of course, uh, you can get it all sorts of convoluted exp- uh, reasons as to why I, I actually think the economy does benefit from lower interest rates. But the simplest one is the fact that in Australia, um, Australians owe the banks about $2.2 2 trillion. That's about the value of household debt in Australia. The value of household bank deposits is about 0. 9 of a trillion trillion, in other words, $900 billion. So, in other words, the amount of household debt, the money Australians owe the banks, is more than double the value of bank deposits, the the amount that banks owe the Australian households. And therefore, when you cut interest rates, you do have a huge net benefit to the household sector. Um, And that's why lower interest rates do help um, the economy. But the the other big area, and I've alluded to this already, of course, where lower interest rates will help, and that is, of course, via a lower Australian dollar, um, just making us more competitive internationally. And hopefully all of that combines to making sure that inflation doesn't fall much further.
1: Shane Oliver, thank you very much for your time.
3: It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
1: And what do you think, Leon? Well, I think he's got a point. I think, actually, as he says, it's going to be years until we see interest rates back to what we would call normal levels. Again, with the way inflation is the way it is. Well, it's a global trend. Now, the news. Well, Gary, in less than six months of 2016, China's appetite for overseas acquisitions has already Outgrown last year's record as deal hungry mainland buyers chase global assets such as real estate chemicals and high-end technologies. And bankers and lawyers say there could, however, be some slowdown in the second half as mainland buyers face heightened scrutiny at home and abroad. Now China's international capital core, the country's biggest investment bank, expects outbound deals to hit 150 billion US this year. And China's acquirers announced US eleven hundred and eleven point five billion worth of deals in twenty fifteen from six hundred. Thirty-two transactions according to thompson's reuters data so now they're looking at 150 billion and completed deals on which banks are paid fees last year stood at u.s 73 billion compared with the u.s 45.6 billion so far this year and that's just going to keep going gary
0: i think it is the two things to consider one is is any of this sort of export of capital from china which is in growth mode still does that come from a worry about the future of the chinese economy and the other question of course about what's sinister is um, is it money laundering
1: Well, yes, indeed. But uh, the issue is that they're looking for growth and they're looking for growth assets. And in Australia, they're looking at areas like farmland,
0: for example. And emotional for us because a lot of people say sell them food instead of farmland.
1: That's right. Now, um, weak economic growth in the US could force the Federal Reserve to hold off any imminent interest rate increases, according to Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen. And she told the Senate Banking Committee that headwinds, including slower employment gains in recent months, weak productivity, growth and the persistence of a sluggish pace of inflation have prompted the Fed to adopt a more cautious stance suggesting there's little chance of any increase in the benchmark federal funds at the central bank's next meeting in July and that a move when policy makers meet again in September is hardly guaranteed so we're not going to see many rate increases at the Fed. Global financial markets have been on tenterhooks this week in the lead up to the Thursday's referendum which will decide whether Britain exits or stays in the European Union but investors have been returning with the latest polling showing signs of a swing back to the Remain camp following the murder of Labour MP Joe Cox. Still, Britain's referendum on the European Union membership is still too close to call. Separate polls show leads for both sides, and billionaire George Soros has warned us of a slump in the pound should voters back Brexit. The pound has approached a five-month high against the dollar, as bookmakers' odds indicate a growing probability Britons will vote to remain in the European Union. Now, markets yesterday in Australia and the US were pretty flat as cuz investors weren't taking any risks ahead of the vote in London the FTSE 100 the blue the blue chip index rose 1.2% and the pound was up another 0.5%. So that would indicate that investors expect Britons will vote to stay in the EU. I might also add that the betting market there's been a 17 point swing towards the Remain camp in the last few days. Odds checkers the odds checker assessed all the bookies odds and they came out with a 79% chance of the Brits staying in the EU I would say all, all of that Gary is, the point is though is that the Brits are going to the polls a divided nation and they will stay divided. I don't care if they vote to stay in the EU there's, there's still going to be an issue because 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 the issue has not been about economics, because You've got everyone from the IMF, the OECD, the Bank of England, Treasury Secretary, U.S. Treasury Secretary Joseph Liu. Everyone is saying Brexit can cause a disaster. People like George Soros, people like uh, Richard Branson are warning against it. So it's not about economics. It's all about immigration.
0: Immigration and also interference with what is seen by older people as British rights to be British. That's right. Yeah, And they were really brassed off about intrusion from the bureaucrats in Brussels and not voting for a member of a European Parliament and having no redress on the bureaucrats.
1: Yes, indeed, indeed. Now, the Reserve Bank of Australia on Tuesday gave few strong signals of another rate cut in the cash rate. It remained relatively upbeat about growth and employment, but alert to the risk of persistently low inflation. And according to the minutes of a June board meeting, when the RBA held the cash rate at 1.75% after a cut in May, incipient Wage pressures may eventually for- feed into core inflation, though not for a while. Now we have to remember a shock in full in first quarter core inflation to below the bank's two to three percent target band triggered the interest rate cut in May, and that was the first in a year. And a rate cut is still a close call, but the economists are tipping ones ahead in August. And uh, according to Shane Oliver, that's a, probably a likelihood. Now, positive news about jobs figures and business environment has seen Australian consumer confidence surging to its highest level in nearly two years. The ANZ Roy Morgan Consumer Confidence Index jumped 2.1% in the week ending 19th of June, and it now stands at its highest level in two and a half years since November 2013. Now, house price growth in Sydney and Melbourne will halve over the next few months, according to HSBC chief economist Paul Bloxham, which is a significant turnaround from Sydney and Melbourne house prices growing 13-14% respectively in the year to May. And all this coincides with the ABS data this week showing the first quarterly fall in three and a half years for Australian Capital City home prices, which data shows residential prices dropping 0.2% in the March quarter, which is the first fall since the September quarter of 2012. Bloxham, in a note to clients, expects the oversupply of co- apartments, tighter lending rules and the recent taxation of foreign buyers will see growth in house prices in Melbourne and Sydney uh, sliding from 9% in 2015 to around 4 to 5% in 2016 And the following year He forecast growth Of between 0 and, five, zero and 5% And could even be negative Now Gary I've got to say If nothing else Labor leader Bill Shorten Has done what nobody else Has achieved before His United Real estate agents Now it's a Cutthroat industry But real estate agents Across the country Are putting aside Their cutthroat competitiveness To campaign Against negative Gearing policy Of the ALP And it's seen bitter rivals Like the Ray White Group LJ Hooker McGrath Real Estate Along with Regional Pro such as Melbourne-based Buxton, coming together to warn customers about the consequences, telling them values will fall and warning tenants that rents will rise. And they're conducting their campaign through electronic mail-outs, social media campaigns and old-fashioned snail mail letters.
0: Yep, I've got several in my letterbox.
1: And all of this coincides with a campaign launched by the Property Council of Australia, which has compiled lists of negatively geared voters in the 10 most marginal coalition and Labour-held seats.
0: Just adding complication to an already complicated election.
1: According to the Commonwealth Bank Business Sales Indicator, economy wide spending is falling. Weaker spending across government and business sectors, including the big retail store segment, fell by 0.1% in May, while annual growth slowed from 4.9% to 4.1%. Now, the BSI has now fallen well below the 7 to 7.6% growth rate seen in the six months to November last year, and it shows that spending fell in the two biggest states, worryingly enough, New South Wales and Victoria, which had sales of 2.5% below from a year ago. It also reveals that six of the 19 industry sectors contracted, including retail stores, airlines, automobiles and vehicles and business services.
0: People are estimating something like 50,000 jobs at risk in the next two years, which is a real worry.
1: The merger of Australia's two most militant unions could be torpedoed after the Coalition proposed new laws subjecting union amalgamations to a ...tough public interest risk tests. And ahead of the proposed merger of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union and the Maritime Union of Australia... ...Employment Minister Michaela Cash says a union's what she calls history of compliance with workplace laws... ...would be one criteria that unions wishing to merge would be assessed on. And such criteria would cast doubt on the capacity of these two left-wing unions to get the merger approved... ...given their well-documented history of civil law breaches. Now... The unions are unlikely to vote on the merger until 2017, and so Senator Cash says a re-elected coalition would seek to have these new laws passed quickly by the Senate.
0: Interesting prospect depends on what the composition of the Senate, and that's a very worry too. Well,
1: the latest tipping is we could see something like nine crossbenchers, and uh, with the Nick Xenophon team having four of them, which uh, to me I would tell Malcolm Turnbull: be careful what you wish for. Indeed. Now, uh, credit Crown Resorts credit. Rating is facing a potential downgrade following its decision to spin off its international assets, including its troubled Chinese gaming hub in Macau. And ratings agency Moody's Moody's says Crown's rating is up for review with a spin-off in its new dividend policy to pay 100% of normalised net profit after tax. Now, Moody's is also looking at Crown's plans to explore a potential float of a 49% stake in a property crust that would include Crown's own Australian hotels, but excluding Crown Towers Melbourne, with Crown retaining a 51% interest and Crown would no longer receive dividend payments from the spun-off Melco Crown Entertainment in Macau and it says the proposed merger materially reduces Crown's asset base. Now, APN is exiting the Australian newspaper industry, selling off its regional publishing operations to Rupert Murdoch's News Corp for $36.6 million. and the deal offloads 12 daily newspapers, 60 community papers and more than 30 regional websites in APN's regional Queensland and northern New South Wales portfolio and a deal which still has to be approved by the Australian Competition. Consumer Commission, Foreign Investment Review Board and of course APN shareholders comes less than a week after 99.87% of APN shareholders voted to split off the company's New Zealand business to allow APN's drain operations to focus on its radio and outdoor advertising assets and that business, NZME, will list separately on the New Zealand Stock Exchange as the first step to merging with the New Zealand operations of Fairfax Media which is also offloading its New Zealand business yeah. and so News Corp already has a 14.9% stake in APN and that deal allows APN to focus on the lucrative radio and outdoor advertising market. Now, Metcash has recorded a $216.5 million net profit after last year posting a $384.2 million. And with the group Black in the Black, the supermarket group has announced it will recomm- recommence dividends in 2017. But underlying earnings crashed 7.4% because of all that discounting to $700, $275.4 million. And that sent Metcash shares crashing. Still, underlying profit for Metcash rose 2.7% to 178.3 million, and group revenues were up 1.3% to 13.5 billion. Wholesale sales in the key food and grocery division rose 0.5% to 9.26 billion. And at the same time, same store sales in IGA rose 1.4%, posting the fourth consecutive quarter of positive growth. But then, you know, with all the discounting, it's, it's hurting Metcash's bottom line. Interestingly enough, Coles is now trialling online stores in Richmond. That's stores where no customer goes. And they're doing it in anticipation of Amazon Fresh launching in Australia. Which will,
0: again, change the whole scene.
1: Now, Bega Cheese has thrown the gauntlet down to its rival by slashing its Farmgate milk price to 11% to $5 a kilo for the upcoming season. And that compares to Saputa-controlled Warrnambool cheese and butter, which last week set its uh, 2017 financial price at $4.80. And Bigger's announcement comes after the country's two biggest producers, Fonterra and Mary Goldburn, cut prices seven weeks ago. Now, neither Fonterra nor Murray Goldburn have indicated... had told farmers about what's on offer for next year. And uh, that's it for this week, Gary. Good, Leon. And uh, next week we've got a terrific interview with American hacking expert Scott Schober, and he's going to be talking to us all about cybercrime. In the meantime, you can listen to us on Twitter, if you want, on Talking Biz, B-I-Z-Z, or on Facebook. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week.